Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. A couple of years ago, I had a really awkward uh, encounter with another church person. We were right on the edge of doing a, a funeral, so my mind was sort of in that place, and the conversation was brought up around masks. This is back when masks were being hotly debated. As y'all know, since kids have been vaccinated, we've made them not mandatory, they're optional in the space of the sanctuary. Um, because we wanted to ensure safety for all of our kids. But at this point in time, we hadn't yet done that. We were still mandating masks in the sanctuary. And just before the funeral was starting, someone came up to me and said, Patrick, I just don't understand why you can't just make a decision about this, which was confusing for me because I thought I had. But uh, they said, why can't you make a decision about this? And I said, well, um, our church council has thought really long and hard about how we're going to make our decisions to ensure the safety of all the folks in the room as best we can. Um, And they said, um, well, Patrick, I just think you need to be brave enough to disappoint people sometimes. Um, And I, getting ready to walk into a funeral, responded more snarkily than I should have. And it was not helpful and said, um, what do you think I'm doing right now? Um, And I have not seen that person in church again. And it breaks my heart. And we've talked about that in our leadership team a couple of times. Um, We've talked about what it means to live ethically? What are going to be our parameters around why we do the things that we do? What is our decision-making process? And one of the people that I have really leaned on for wisdom in this, who also won't love the attention I'm about to throw at him without telling him in advance, but uh, in our first meeting after COVID, Roland, who's on our church council, um, said, well, we actually have rules about this. The first rule of the Methodist Church is to do no harm. Do you remember this conversation? Do no harm. And that wisdom should be our guide in every decision that we make as a church. Do no harm. Do good. Attend to the ordinances of God. Who loves a conversation about rules? I know we've got some folks in the room. Yeah. There are some people who love rules, who find rules to be the worst. I know there's some of those in the room too. One and a half, wow, okay, yeah. Like we just absolutely despise rules. Yeah, I see that hand. All right, yeah, sometimes rules can be a real bummer because they oftentimes, what I find rules to be frustrating is when they make a boundary right in front of the place I really, really, really want to go. It's like right on the edge of doing something really fun, right? Like when my parents would make a rule that I had to be home at nine o'clock at night on a school night. And it was always the case that my friends were doing the really fun things at 10 o'clock at night. And we were just going to go see a movie. And I don't understand why you won't let me. 
I'm still holding that grudge, and I will work on that myself for a while. But those rules always set up in the wrong spot. They're always set up right before you get to fun. And uh, so I have mixed relationships with rules. But as I've grown older, I've started to understand rules in a little bit of a different way. Rules help set up healthy boundaries for families or for communities to live well together. Without rules, it'd be just chaos. Right? We'd all be sort of doing our own thing. Whatever makes me happy, at least this is the way I am. Maybe some of y'all are more ethical than me. But I need rules because otherwise I'm just going to do what I want. Regardless of how it might impact even the next day. You know, whatever is cool and interesting and in the present moment, I'm just going to, I'm going to do that. Whatever makes me feel good right now, I'm going to do that. And I won't think about what's going to happen tomorrow. I won't think about how it's going to impact my relationships. I won't think about how it might uh, uh, become just uh, a, a, a source of tension in my church or my community or whatever, because I, it just doesn't. But boundaries around time, around energy, around life, help to create safe spaces for us to be able to be playful with each other. Um, And I think that's really important. This is what Paul is sort of trying to articulate in the whole book of Romans. Um, The book of Romans is written by Paul to a new Christian community in the city of Rome that Paul had never met. Paul is one of the first teachers about what it means to live a Christian life. He was the one who had been appointed to go and speak to people who were not Jewish, that we call Gentiles, about who Jesus is and how to be incorporated and adopted into this ancient Jewish faith with a particular focus on the presence of Christ. And so while he's trying to figure out what that means, he's trying to define what it means to live within this community of faith. Because a lot of stuff starts coming up. The uh, Hebrew faith that was handed to Paul and that we're sort of built on and we're heirs of comes with a lot of particular rules about how to eat what and when, about how to take on debt, how to treat folks who are within our religious community, how to treat folks who are outside of our religious community, what we're supposed to do with certain types of crops that we raise and certain types of animals that we raise and what days we're supposed to do what things on. There are a lot of very particular rules. So as Paul's traveling around the country, trying to introduce new people into this ancient faith, he's coming up with a lot of barriers that are unhelpful. Some rules that he is trying to hand to communities become barriers to their entry into it. Um, we can talk about the finer details of circumcision later. <laughs> but there are some things that become barriers of entry into the the. Christian community. And so Paul and some of the others start to try to re-identify what it means to live faithfully, how to be adopted into this community of faith, what it means to be a part of this Christian community that's also an heir of this Hebrew faith that is trying to live earnestly, authentically, but with appropriate guardrails so that people know what it means to be Christian. And so he's trying to redefine all those things. He throws out some stuff that's unhelpful, and he holds tightly to other things that are really helpful. 
Like he says, you know, um, one of the things that was really controversial way back in the day was when he started telling people that it was fine to eat food that had been offered to other gods, which is wild, right? Because the rule had always been, we don't eat other God's food. That's that other God's food. But Paul's argument is that like that God doesn't exist. There's one God. So eating food that's been offered on this altar doesn't actually mean anything. It's just about how we receive it. And so as long as we're not receiving it as though it were being offered to another God, it's fine. But the rule still stands somewhere in that gray spot, right? Like, I know this is in the weeds, and I'm sorry. I promise we'll get into it more. I see a lot of, like, glazing over. Stay with me for just a second. Stay with me for just a second. Paul has to define that gray area. How do we live ethically alongside one another while also acknowledging that the barrier that we used to think of no longer exists? And rather than it being a decision about something being right or wrong, he makes the rule around how it impacts the people around you. So the rule is gone. You can eat whatever meat you want to. It doesn't matter. But, and it's a big but, if it might confuse other people who don't understand Don't do it. You see what I mean? Like, the rule isn't about don't eat meat anymore. The rule is, would you eating meat that's been offered in this way have a negative impact on the people around you? If so, don't do it. You see, it's all about, it's all about relationships now. And from that, and from what Julia read, we start to see a picture through this whole book of Romans about how Paul is trying to define this community of faith. And there are some things that he holds very tightly to, namely faith in Jesus Christ. And there are some things that Paul is really loose about because fundamentally, at the end of the day, there really are three rules for how to live a life of faith, to do no harm to do good and to uh, attend to the ordinances of God, or to put it another way, to stay in love with God and do those practices that maintain our relationship with God. So if we commit to do no harm, um, there's some fundamental pieces to, to that, do no harm and to do good. In order to do no harm, you have to know the people around you. You have to know the impact of your actions. You have to know what people might be thinking or feeling based on any decision that you make. It's a really important thing to hold that reality. I can't make a decision about whether or not an action that I take is going to harm Tyler unless I know Tyler well enough. See what I mean? The Christian life is built fundamentally on relationships earnest relationships, honest relationships. And sometimes that means when I say something offensive, I know that Tyler will come and talk to me and say, gosh, Patrick, I wish you hadn't said that. To hold me accountable to that standard of non-harm. That's what it means to be in a relationship 
in this Christian faith, to be honest with one another, to be earnest with one another, so that we can receive information well and we can change our actions based on the way that it causes harm in other people's lives. Do no harm. And in the same way, to do good, it's the second rule uh, of our United Methodist Church, to do no harm and then to do good. Doing good means, you know, doing everything that we can to make sure harm isn't happening beyond our control, right? So if someone is uh, homeless, as an example, to do good would be to take all of the energy that we have to partner with organizations like Decatur Cooperative Ministries or Decatur Emergency Assistance Ministries or with Trinity Table to make sure everybody in our community has food and the capacity for shelter so that all people may be well. Doing good also means that we would never let someone suffer alone. Right? If you know someone who's experienced loss or had a traumatic thing happen to them, doing good means entering into their life in a way that isn't uh, intrusive into their life, but is gracious to what experiences that they may have. So that the world doesn't cause harm in these people's lives. What does it mean to be a part of a community of faith? We know each other. We commit to not harming one another, and we commit to not letting the world beyond us cause harm in people's lives. We do no harm, and we do good. And then the last thing, which we're all doing right now, so kudos, is attending to the ordinances of God. That's, uh, you could probably guess what that is, but that's all the habits of faithfulness. In order to be committed as a part of uh, the Christian life, it means, you know, regularly pulling out that Bible and reading some uh, verses. It means talking with people about your faith, even when you might have some shame or embarrassment or not, of not feeling like you're doing it right. Having those holy conversations with other people about the walk of life so that we can be um, held accountable, but also be held in grace for those conversations to be participating in Bible studies and small groups so that we can be growing together. Um, to, it, means, it means meditating, even when you feel like you're just bored and sitting quietly and your brain's going a million miles an hour. Just a simple practice of reminding yourself that God is present in each breath that you take can be enough to draw us into the presence of God. It's those little things, all those little practices that become habitual, that become healing in times of stress and anxiety. Those are the ordinances of God. And to be people of faith, we're called to practice them. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to be United Methodist. And it was really serendipitous that John was doing the same thing with children's ministry. It really just sort of happened. We both wanted to talk about the same kind of stuff in part because the Methodist Church is in a very stressful moment in history. For those of you who are new to the Methodist denomination, I'm sorry to introduce you to this, but it is a reality. We're currently splitting. Our denomination is not even just splitting in half. It's sort of splintering into a bunch of different pieces. And because of that, there's a lot of like... Um, false accusations being thrown by like everybody in every direction about who is the actual faithful group of people 
And I just want to say, it's all... Edit my language. Edit my language. Nonsense. Um, because the Methodist Church was always about, always about living with renewal. We're a church that has splintered thousands of times. I think we can all agree that nobody actually gets everything right. And so we're trying to do what we can with the tools that we have to have a positive impact in the world, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And fundamentally, that's who we are. That's the movement that we're a part of in the Methodist Church. We're called to let go of all the baggage we have, or even bring the baggage to the community so that we can hold it together and walk forward faithfully. That can happen in any denomination. I frankly don't care if you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever. I am Methodist because I grew up in a Methodist church. That is it. Um, And I like John Wesley. He's great. But there's something about being a part of our, of holding on to the same language. If you grew up in a space, why is it important? It's because it's mine. And I want to do it well. I don't really have anything inspirational today, and I'm sorry for that. I've been actually thinking about this a lot. It's hard to make rules inspirational, but I think that it's instructive anyway. I am overwhelmed by the number of news stories and, like, I'm not even on TikTok, but a friend of mine sent me a TikTok video where what his comment was, this was, his comment was, I don't think I'm Christian anymore, period. And it was sarcasm because the video that he sent me was a clip from some political event that happened somewhere where they were pretending that someone had been locked up because there was an elimination of free speech. I'm, I'm just tired of my faith being politicized by anybody. I just am. I'm really frustrated by it. I'm annoyed that um, Republicans and Democrats have seemed to, like, lay their claim over the faith that, that I have, and then seeing friends, even in a sarcastic or ironic way, which is my generation's way, um, uh, dismiss their own faith because they see other people doing it badly. The amount of power that we give to people that we don't like is wild to me. The amount of power that we give to people that we don't respect is wild to me. That I would make a faith decision, that anybody would make a faith decision to give up on what God is doing because someone else that's a part of this broad communion with Christ did something that was embarrassing to me. It's just really sad. And I'm sorry that I don't have a lot of, like, inspiration here, but I think that the hope lies in the healthy boundaries. 
that we can set as a community of faith. Where rather than being pulled down any one of these rabbit holes to see exactly how embarrassing our faith communities can be and getting stuck in debates about what we wish other people were doing in their own faith life, if we could actually devote ourselves to those simple rules of doing no harm, of doing good, and doing our own work to stay in relationship with God, all the garbage might begin to lose its power over our lives, over whatever we're scrolling on, over our conversations, and maybe with God's help, we might be able to live with genuine hope for what God is doing rather than embarrassment over what somebody else is doing in God's name. That's my genuine prayer, that we could set that garbage aside and just learn how to be faithful together as a community of faith. And I hope y'all are willing to join me in that good and sacred work. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Thank mm-hmm. you.